0: Hello and welcome to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Bowne. I'm here to share techniques and tools to help you engage with your audience and bring art, objects, and ideas to life. So let's dive into this week's show. Hello and welcome back to the Art Engager podcast. I'm your host, Claire Bowne of Thinking Museum and this is episode 50 wow that's a milestone to reach 50 whole episodes and also this week we passed the 10,000 downloads mark which is incredible which means we're celebrating today and it also marks a whole year of podcasting we started april 30th last year so one year of podcast 50 episodes and 10,000 downloads. It's really gone by so fast, but thanks to everyone. That's you. Thank you to everyone who has listened over the past year, whether you've been with us from the start or whether you've started listening more recently. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Um, We are a niche show. We're a small niche podcast, but an important one. I think so much of the amazing work of museum education just goes under the radar. And I like to think that this show helps by shining a spotlight on the practice of museum education and all the amazing and myriad ways that we're engaging our audiences with art and objects. So before I get emotional... Let me tell you about today's show. So today I'm talking to museum educator Gabrielle Grime as part of a new series of episodes I'll be sharing on pictures of practice. I want to share and highlight the amazing work of museum educators, heritage educators working with all sorts of methods, but especially those who are working with visible thinking in the museum, with slow-looking thinking routines, inquiry, and so much more. Now, Gabrielle is a heritage education officer at Wanneroo Regional Museum in Australia. And Gabrielle read about the Peel the Fruit thinking routine on my blog and decided to give it a go with primary school children. And she speaks about this in our chat. It had amazing results and even left some of the group in tears. She then followed my VTMO course last year and now she's a member of my community of practice, the Thinking Museum membership. And in this chat, we talk about her values, the values that inform her practice, what role slow looking plays in her work and what thinking routines she loves to use. She also shares why she stays up Until 11 pm or even midnight, sometimes just to attend classes. We talk about questioning, facilitation, and being part of this community of educators all learning, exploring, and sharing together. As always, all the links that we mentioned in the the chat are on the show notes, and you can find the show notes on my website. This is episode 50. I know you're going to love listening to this chat. Enjoy. Hi, Gabrielle. Welcome to the Art Engager podcast.
1: Hello, Claire. It's so nice to be here with you.
0: Oh, I'm delighted you could be here. So could you tell us, for everyone that's listening, where you are right now?
1: Yes, I am speaking to you from my home on Wajak Noongar Country, which is about in Perth, Western Australia, about 25 kilometres north of the city centre
0: brilliant so you're our first guest from Australia on the podcast so welcome and I'm delighted we could find a time when we can talk with each other um, and it's not your evening or my morning too early so tell me tell me what it is that you do.
1: Okay so I work as a heritage education officer for a um, a pretty large local government called the city of Wanneroo, And um, where we are, because we are north of Perth, um, it's pretty semi-rural and rural, and it's a huge council. It's about 685 square kilometres. Wow. <laughs> um, and we have, yeah, we have um, a museum, um, two heritage houses that where we deliver programs as well. And we're kind of housed in this building, which has also got a... Um, a library and the regional art gallery, which forms, if you like, a cultural
0: centre. So it's quite an interesting place to be working. And how long have you been working there? About five years. Okay. And what sort of led you to working there? What did you do beforehand? Well...
1: I've had a very diverse background in education and it's funny this is really forming a full circle because when I first uh, graduated from university I was lucky enough to get this um, graduate position in Canberra and it was with Veterans Affairs and I worked in the War Memorial as part of a kind of an internship and I just loved it and so when I finished that year I thought I am going to try and find work in a cultural institution and the National Library had a fairly low-paying entry job and I just jumped on it (laughs) and Mm. then I ended up working there for about five years in education and visitor services and I didn't really have any background in the area but I just learnt so much. And then over the years I've worked variously as um, a high school English teacher. I worked for six years in Taiwan as as an English teacher there, I um, worked as an early childhood music teacher, worked for seven years in waste and sustainability education, and latterly I've come back to working um, at the Wanneroo Museum in museum education again. So it's been a
0: very interesting journey. Wow, brilliant. And all, all that experience feeds into your work now as a museum educator, I imagine. So uh, this is part of a new series of um episodes that we're doing all about pictures of practice. And what I'm really interested is in finding out how other museum educators around the world engage their audiences with art and objects. What are some of the practices that are really important to them, how they might use thinking routines or slow looking, all those sorts of things I'd like to dive into with you. But Just to start us off, are there some values or principles that are essential in your work? Well,
1: very handy that I've been doing the uh, Thinking Museum membership with you, Claire, since we've just done a whole lot of work on that, haven't we? Yeah, we have. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, it has been a great opportunity to think through that, actually, because I don't know that I would have been able to articulate this otherwise. Really, first and foremost, especially with the world as it is. I think being kind, there's just so much going on for people and I think being kind and heart-centred first and foremost with colleagues as well as visitors is just so important. I think the person of first. Also integrity. I think with whatever I've done, I really believe in what I do and I think that that shows, it will show with the passion with which you deliver your programs, in what you do. And I think in doing that checks because museums, you know, we're so potentially contentious. Um, We represent certain versions of history, if you like, or perspectives. And so I think really being able to look at yourself in the eye at all times and think, have I got that integrity in what I'm doing is really important. Um, collaboration has also been really vital I think often in museum education I think in most education areas actually you can be really isolated once you're in Mm. practice or in the classroom you're on your own and I know from my many years of teaching is people will often put a lot of armor up they don't want other people to see them or they feel insecure but my view is is that if you can lower those shields and be vulnerable say hey can you come and watch me? What do you think? Can you give me some feedback? Um, and, you, and you're and you really prepared to work with other people. I've got this great idea. How about you? You can just get, that to me is the joy of education, actually. You can just build and build and build. So, And especially with visitors as well or students, you can build on their ideas as well. Um, just a couple of others. I won't go for too long. But I think obviously always being um, inquiry-based and reflective about my own practice has been a hallmark of what I try and do because I just think, again, that really helps to shape what I'm doing and refine it the whole time. Um, And again, if you're collaborative, that helps because you can have peers to, to debrief with you the whole time. And being super prepared, Um, We talked about this just the other night and I find it's funny, but by being super prepared, having lots of things up my sleeve, really knowing what I'm talking about, that actually gives me the ability then to be flexible and to have that, that way of then relaxing enough to read the audience because you know your stuff, you can then look out and see what's the mood. Um, How how is everyone feeling? Do I need to change here? Do I keep going? Um, And yeah, and then finally, I guess just continuously learning, I think just keeps everything fresh. So quite a few.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's great. And you've obviously uh, put the work in there. This was part of I've explained to people who are listening, part of a course we were doing in the membership, which was all about discovering your own personal style as a facilitator. And as part of that, we looked at our values, didn't we? And we had to narrow them down, probably from a short, a long list of ten to a short list of five values that we came up with. And what I found really interesting about that exercise is that I think a lot of people have these values, but maybe they're sort of subconscious; they're not so aware of them. But actually, going through the exercise and articulating what your particular values, what the principles are that uphold your work, is really, really important to us as facilitators. And I know listening to you there that I, I, a lot of mine are in common with yours as well. So I wanted to (laughs) dig into a few of those um, and just uh, talk a little bit about, you mentioned inquiry-based being a really important part of your work. And I know that thinking routines are as well. So could you tell me a little bit about your first experience of hearing about and using thinking routines? Yeah, so I had seen this see, think, wonder
1: routine for quite some time. And I guess because it was devoid of context, I'd seen it in quite a few museum education things, but I just didn't really get it. And then um, last year, as I said, we have a gallery and um, we had this absolutely wonderful exhibition called, from the Australian War Memorial, called For Country, For Nation, and it tells the story of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's service in the defence of Australia. It was such a powerful, moving exhibition. I really thought all educators around need to see this. And so I offered to um, to assist um, our, our gallery curator with the education program. I thought oh, I don't really have any experience in um, delivering much about arts and so what can I do? So I did a whole lot of research, came across... Um, your website Thinking Museum and there was this fabulous thinking routine called Peel the Fruit and so it, it really resonated with me and so I sat and I looked at particular artworks really thought about the the different aspects of the Peel the Fruit, fruit routine prepared my questions went into this group of you six students thinking oh, you know we'll be lucky maybe five minutes in front of this artwork again better be super prepared Well, 25 minutes later, (laughs) I had to kind of draw the students and say, "We, we might look at another artwork now. They were just, it was just such a revelation to me how by being so prepared and not acting as the expert, but instead doing that kind of drip feeding of what do you see and that that close observation and what those students saw was just amazing i i saw some of their teachers and their d- jaws were dropping they they said they had boys who were talking who never usually talk in class you know it was just and and i think that was because i gave them time and it really made me reflect on how rushed i so often was in the museum yeah so anyway um we looked at another artwork and similar in fact um, that was really quite moving and the Aboriginal and Islander um, liaison officer um, she started talking about what she noticed and it it moved a lot of us to tears with what she'd noticed from her own personal experience so yeah that that I think was the impetus for me to then go I think I need to learn a lot more about this (laughs) and hence I joined um, the VTMO course.
0: Brilliant and it's It's so interesting hearing you talk about your first experience using thinking routines, because I think I had a very similar experience that I was, I knew it was a powerful structure. I knew that it had the potential to perhaps transform conversations about art and objects. But I went into it, I think, quite realistic thinking, well, you know, let's see how this goes. And was absolutely blown away by the results um, when I first used it on the pilot of my program ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, it's fascinating that you had a similar experience. How did it feel for you as a facilitator, as an educator, when you were facilitating that experience?
1: Well, we had some discussion, I think, about flow, and um, yeah, that that's how it was. I I just. Oh, my heart was singing, to be honest with you. And um, and I was just looking around and I could see it, I could see it in the eyes of other teachers as well. And everyone was engrossed. The gallery curator was there too. And she said, uh, she just raved about it afterwards. She was, she was also blown away because because there was just that connection between people and the artwork and experience and curiosity. And yeah, it was it it was really powerful.
0: And were you, as as an educator, were you, um, did you have nerves before you used it for the first time? How did you feel going into this? Because I know this is a, is a common thread that I hear from um, educators who are switching perhaps to a different way of working or trying to incorporate more inquiry-based techniques that there's that fear of not knowing where it perhaps might go. How did you feel kind of just beforehand Yes,
1: I, I was definitely nervous, um, I, but like I said, I had prepared a lot, um, particularly with the questions. I really wanted to have follow-up questions ready, have the perspectives questions ready and have them be able to roll off the tip of my tongue because I think that's, to me, that was and that is a really crucial way of being able to pivot according to where your audience is going. So, and and I suppose I'd also done a lot of looking, my close looking myself, although I have to say the um, the students just blew me away with what they saw. They saw so many more things than what I had. Um, But um, yeah, and I also was quite mindful and consciously, I suppose, but I did do this pretty well in, um, we've talked about that drip feeding of information Yep. so because i was aware that we were looking at wartime contexts and um you know um racial contexts that maybe 11 12 year olds might not be too familiar with i i guess i prepared a lot of that material so that where it was necessary i could drop it in but i was trying really hard not to be a walking label in my in my presentation <laughs> and and i think that did work that did again, that did work well. Like for the second artwork, I um I didn't let the students see um, the name of it or the background for it. And I just actually got them to speculate on what they saw. And then I had a student go up and read the artwork. And Then the conversation completely changed. And um, so but that was a, a wonderful again, a wonderful thing um to do because there are all these ahs and ahs and <laughs> yeah, it was it was very interesting. So I think some of those practices, yes, it is nerve-wracking for sure, um, but it's I think preparation is key.
0: And so rewarding as well, as you say, when you get yeah. those you feel the energy in the group change when you know perhaps there's some information that's been shared there's an aha moment or a wow moment and you can just feel it and see it and it gives so much back to you as an educator to be part of that and facilitating that process so yeah oh what a wonderful first experience to have (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah I'd love to move on and talk a little bit about the role of um visible thinking in the museum. So VTM, the method that I've been developing. And I know that you've learned this by participating in the VTMO course with me last year. So can you talk about what role VTM plays in your work as well?
1: Yeah, so I guess doing the course has given me a lot of um, professional skills. I guess uh, I, I feel often in my area of education I've been kind of what is it a jack of all trades but master of none so I I was feeling like I really needed to to upskill and what I liked about VTM is you you have all of those readings from really influential museum educators and that was just great because I think it gave me a lot of that really good grounding museum education and therefore the confidence often we have good instincts but we kind of know "Mm, is there evidence around this but that was that was really useful Um, I think in my um, actual practice I've really developed and continuing to develop my questioning skills I've become so aware of that now and I've also um, been so aware that observation just slowing down and allowing um, audiences to sit and observe is just such a wonderful thing to do it really is because it's without judgment there's there's no one who's smarter or no one who has to have more knowledge it's what you see in front of you and that really opens the door for just so many more conversations and possibilities Um, and I guess to thinking really intentionally about my facilitation skills. So how am I introducing myself? How am I setting up a respectful or curious vibe? Um, How am I reading the audience? Um, Being trauma sensitive, we've talked about that now. And I'm much more aware of
0: those aspects of my practice. Fantastic. And I love that you mentioned the readings as well. So as part of the the course, there are Suggested readings and essential readings every week. And what's interesting is that some people will devour all the readings and will take so much from it. And other people are there on the course for the practical elements and really practicing and collaborating with others. So I think it's, yeah, quite an important part of the course that you can dive in and focus on the elements that really matter to you. But it will also give you that comprehensive background to things like questioning skills. Um, facilitation skills obviously observation and slow looking which is something I'd like to move on to now because you've mentioned it a couple of times that that has been a bit of a sort of aha moment for you that that using observation using slow looking how, how have you um I'll phrase my question better what role does that play in your work now since you've done the course
1: Yeah, so. I guess first of all I I use it I guess in all of my um, programs because when I when I came into the job I guess the programs were quite well established and in a way I suppose I was really much more of a presenter to begin with rather than a creator and facilitator and then over the years as I I guess I've gathered more confidence I really started to think how can I tweak this how can I improve it and these areas observing being much more intentional about object-based learning so looking I guess have been the aha moments for me in doing the course so we've done observational drawing for some time but now I used to kind of present it in a way where I'd just talk about look at what you see and um, it's not about your imagination and I kind of did it in that way it sounds pretty terrible now but now now I actually don't let I don't even have the drawing at all we just talk about what we see first we verbalize it and then within that we can then go in a bit more deeply so for example this is a heritage house we might look at the house together look at what we notice talk about it we might look at a bow in the roof we might discuss that we can look at the materials and how they were made then we'll go into the drawing and that as you can probably tell, it's so much richer <laughs> as an experience and a conversation. Um, similarly, with the object-based learning, um, I've been actually presenting to teachers in that area now because um, we, again, had a few exhibitions and um, wanted to encourage teachers to come along and, and develop their skills. And I've, I've found a great deal more confidence in thinking about object-based learning in the classroom. We have museums in a box, so we've been able to kind of think about how teachers can take those museums in a box back to the classroom and and use those skills. And um, as far as slow-looking goes, I haven't done this yet, but I actually have it as part of my KPIs this year, where I'm wanting to trial this um, later this year. We'll probably do some lunchtime sessions where, again, as staff, then we can go and look at objects and I'll start to model how to do it and I'm hoping to get our front of house staff again to participate in this as a professional development practice first and then we can take it out to the broader community because I just think it's such an enriching experience for staff in their daily work as well as then being able to offer it to the public um, as a public program
0: yeah Oh, love it. Love it. Um, Incorporating slow looking as a daily practice as well as incorporating into your work. So yes, I'm nodding furiously into the microphone (laughs) right here. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about any thinking routines that you've used, you've gone on to use since you've experimented with Peel the Fruit? So what sort of role do they play? Maybe share how you've used some specific routines.
1: Okay, so the ones that I have done so far have mostly been um, a Sea Wonder Connect, um, and I I like that I suppose because I tend to we tend to um, deliver programs for years one to three in Australia in Western Australia, which is I guess ages seven to about nine, mm-hmm. um, because local history is just a core part of the curriculum here. Um, and so that whole comparison between past and present has been a big one. I was also last year, I really noticed a huge change. We in our debriefs, we all discussed it in our education team about how much more anxious and how much more um, and just kind of stressed we noticed um, this the kids were. And so I thought a lot more about mindfulness. And so we're trialling using um, soundscapes, actually, in, yeah. as a reflection tool. So um, well, I had a terrific, um, I think he's called an ethnographer. Anyway, he he worked with us to develop about six or eight different soundscapes from the different exhibits around our museum so we could have the students lie down and rather than... Um, just talk they would listen (laughs) so it's kind of like a hear think wonder wow (laughs) Uh, um just because I thought in that way again we're getting off the whole instead of it being that cognitive visual overload they can lie down and rest and hear and it's a different kind of stimulus so I've just in the beginning stages of trialing that and then kind of um we've had the museum unfortunately closed but um the initial response was were really, really good. And I, I usually did it straight after the break, <laughs> or especially on like a Friday afternoon when I could just see these little people were were dog tired and being in a museum and being overloaded was just too much so I again I have this in my arsenal now (laughs) it's not a very nice word but I have it in my toolkit if you like yeah to um, to use Um, but also I'm quite interested um, we're trying to do a lot of work um, again much more intentionally thinking about our neurodiverse audiences we've seen an uptick in our regional museum possibly because it's a small contained area and fairly quiet um, of um, education support groups come into our museum. And so it's and again from doing the thinking from sorry from doing VTMO, I've really thought a lot more about museums and well-being. And so we've been looking at how perhaps certain thinking music um, routines can also be used with um and neurodiverse visitors especially I think things that are more contained you know like um, headlines and Mm -hmm. um, the 10 by 2 and things like that where it's again it's looking at what you see but not being so open-ended that it would be overwhelming Um, and I've also noticed that when we have had some groups in they they've really enjoyed connecting to things at home so again um, a lot of the thinking routines work well in connecting so again that's C. Wonder Connect or See Think Connect would work really well for those audiences. So, as you can tell, my head's kind of this bubbling, <laughs>
0: bubbling pot of <laughs> possibilities right now. <laughs> it's brilliant it mm-hmm. sounds exactly like mine most days but um no that's <laughs> fantastic because that's the idea is that you take these thinking routines and obviously on the course we're um, exploring them in a certain way but the idea is to give you inspiration for how you might be able to implement it in your own particular circumstances with different audiences with different types of artworks different types of exhibits all sorts of things and it sounds like you've had lots of lots of inspiration and. I'm still thinking about the soundscapes and thinking how nice that would be for adults as well. Oh
1: yeah, actually that's true. You're right.
0: It would be yeah, (laughs) definitely. So I'd like to move on to talking a little bit about being part of a community of practice. And I know you mentioned this when you were talking about your values and your principles about collaborating with others. So in the membership, you are a member of the Thinking Museum membership. Tell me what it's like to be part of this community of educators that we're growing?
1: Oh, It's, it's lovely. Um, I really, although I have to get up usually at 11 or 12 o'clock at night <laughs> to join, I, I really look forward to it um, because we all know each other. I guess most of the people who are in the membership have gone through um, the course we went through it together and it's kind of like greeting friends now. Um, I really love the coaching sessions. It's taken me a while again to gather my courage to do one of the sessions, and that's where basically it's about 15 minutes, isn't it, Claire? Where we have to prepare a 15 minute session and we present it to our peers, our community of practice, and then we get feedback. I did my first one a couple of months ago. Oh, my goodness. I learned so much from it. And I'm just about to do another one next month. Now I've got the bug. I love it. That's right. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it's a really supportive group, um, which I like. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I've put in, I've put out questions now to the group and I get answers and responses from people. And there's just a whole lot of support. And, again, just that notion of, being in education where you can feel a little isolated, it's really nice to kind of have that regularity of support and feedback. And I guess for me, as someone who's just a an avid learner, the fact that in the membership, we have so, so many um, interesting courses and ways of challenging ourselves and, and furthering our practice. I, I just really love it.
0: And it's amazing, and I have to say this, and I'm recording this so it'll be there for posterity. How late you get up, and you turn up consistently <laughs> to our classes. And for a lot of the members, it's afternoon time. It's obviously they take place at five pm my time, that's Amsterdam time. But we've people in the states; it's morning time for them. But for you in Australia it's nighttime so at the end of the class we're saying night to you so i've always been so impressed by your commitment and enthusiasm and your energy at that time of night very very impressive <laughs> you don't know how many coffees i've had no 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah and yeah. it it is exactly how you describe it it's lovely that there are so many people that have taken the vtmo course and then gone on to be part of the membership and be part of this community who explore and share and inspire and also support each other in that way. So, yes, creating sort of peer friendships across the world is um, yeah something that I've, I've wanted to do for a long time. So I'm really glad you're a part of it. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the future. Any plans for future programs? Anything we haven't mentioned yet? What have you got bubbling up in the pipeline?
1: yeah so we're yeah we've just, just uh, established our neurodiversity working group so we'll be we'll be kind of building on that and I'm really keen on that um i guess our future plans is to really again think a lot more about um visible thinking routines for older adults too i guess i'm i'm really on this bent now about around um museums and well-being because i can see that for where we are we're in kind of a suburban um, area we've we've got the potential to be a sanctuary as well as a place of learning and inspiration and I think I think conversational dialogue and sharing ideas and making connections just has so much potential. Um, to reach people in our community. So yeah, so I'm really, I guess that's where, where my head's at at the moment is, is really building on that. I've been having to do most of my work with um, school groups, which I love, but I'm really hoping to branch out into the broader audience if if I get time. <laughs> I'm only part-time, but as as time permits, that's certainly where we're going. Yeah.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Fantastic. So how can people reach out to you? How can they find you? Where do you live? (laughs) Yeah, sure. So
1: I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn, um, Gabrielle Grime. You can check out our um, museum We're Wanneroo, just look up Wanneroo Regional Museum, where we're small, but but keen. (laughs) Um, We all love what we do. And I'm lucky, really lucky to work with um, uh, just a fantastic team there. They're really great. So yeah, anytime, I'm happy, really happy to talk to people. I just think, yeah, please get in touch and share ideas um, or have a chat to me. Um, We're all learning and it's great to support each other.
0: Brilliant. I will share links to uh, your museum. I will share links to your LinkedIn profile as well. And if anyone wants to reach out to you, I highly recommend having a chat with Gabrielle and sharing your thoughts too. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing some thoughts, a picture of your practice um, and for joining us today. And yeah, speak to you soon. Bye. Thanks very much, Claire. Bye. Bye. So a huge thanks to Gabrielle for being on the podcast today. We had a lovely chat, as you could probably hear. And I'm so inspired to hear about all the projects she has planned. If you'd like to join my VTMO course and transform your practice, please do sign up as soon as possible because starting on the 9th of May... I'll be taking a small group of professionals through my method, the visible thinking in the museum method. And this will really change, and transform the way you work with art, objects and people in the museum forever. This course is a game changer. And if you'd like to be part of our community of practice and get together with other museum education professionals from around the world to learn together, to share, to explore and to grow, you can join my membership, the Thinking Museum membership. I'll put a link in the show notes for my VTMO course and also for the membership. And if you're not sure which right for you, do get in touch to have a chat. So that's it for this week and for the last time, happy birthday to the Art Engager podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Bowne. You can find more art engagement resources by visiting my website, thinkingmuseum.com, And you can also find me on Instagram at Thinking Museum, where I regularly share tips and tools on how to bring art to life and engage your audience. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share with others and subscribe to the show on your podcast player of choice. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.